What's up, everyone? This week on the pod, I got Blake Cruz and John Carrar from Stalag 13. So stay tuned for that. They just put out a new album that came out at the end of February on streaming. And the CD and the tape, they're out now. They should have shipped already. Uh, The vinyl is slightly delayed, but it'll be out later this month. You can go to stalag13.bandcamp.com to pre-order that record, and it'll ship when it ships. So check that out. Please support the podcast by subscribing to it wherever you listen to it. Also, please take the time to like it, rate it, and review it. If you want to go the extra mile, you can go to patreon.com slash 185 miles south and become a monthly Patreon. We do bonus podcasts for uh, every interview episode. So I'll bring some buddies on. We talk about the interview as well as go through the playlist of the person that was interviewed. So uh, that's super fun. There's going to be a Stalag 13 one that comes out on Friday or Saturday. So check that out. Also, if you go to 185milesouth.com, there is a playlist for every episode. So click that playlist link and uh, check it out. But let's get on with the show. Hundred eighty-five miles south, a hardcore punk rock podcast. What's up, everyone? This week on the pod, got Blake Cruz and John Carrar from Stalag Thirteen. What's up, dudes? What's what happening, up? brother? Yeah, man. So yeah. we had Ron on before, but now we got Blake. And uh, you guys both played on E-Control. And so uh, I want to go through this history because uh, I've been trying to get you for a long time, Blake. It took over 100 episodes. What the fuck? <laughs> All right. We got you now, though. That's what's important. Okay. Um, you basically, like, grew up in punk because, like, you're the youngest. You're the youngest of your family, correct? That's correct. Right. And so, like, they're into it. So you, did you ever, like, know anything else or, like, since you're – early memories has like punk always surrounded you? Well, <clears throat> you know, when, when I was growing up though, <clears throat> my mom played music too. And uh, she kind of hung out with like Frank Zappa and that crew and Bob Dylan going up to the onion dome out there in Zuma. So always been around music. And, um, but when, got into punk rock it was probably shit i was probably about 13 and um somewhere in there and um so basically you know from a young age up until about 10 11 you know um just had music around me all the time and then um you know growing up on silver strand you know that's where aggression was at and kind of growing up with that that's how i was kind of introduced to to the punk rock scene. I mean, I was really young. What are some of your early memories of, of seeing the aggression guys? Well, we all lived on a street called Coenga. Mark Hickey had one house and had the half pipe in the back. The very next house next to it was big Bob's house. And then my family had the house over from that. So we were just literally, you know, all right there. And, um, you know, watching those guys practice and, and all that stuff. But my sister dated Henry. So Henry kind of lived with us. And basically that's really how I started to learn how to play the guitar, you know, uh, you know, just watching these guys jam. I was like the biggest groupie and, um, yeah, it was just, um, definitely, uh, <laughs> uh, a trippy time being that young, you know, and, uh, getting into this. Yeah. Well, you said that you, you grew up with music always being around, like how did like the punk music sound different to you? Well, you know, the other stuff, it was just, you know, the hippie stuff, my mom, you know, she, she was into all that stuff. So the punk scene was definitely, the music was definitely different, but it was a lot of energy and that's what I liked about it. It it was um, something that just caught my attention very quick. 
especially at a young age. Yeah, jumping back out of punk, um, your your brother was relatively famous. Like, was on a, a childhood sitcom. What was that like having like a a famous brother? Well, you know, when when he did the character of Betty's father, I w- I was like a baby, you know. So um, that um, that you know, being that young, you know, don't really remember much of it, but kind of getting older he started doing the bad news bears and all that stuff it was pretty cool you know getting to go down to chatsworth and watching him film it you know just seeing all all what he was going through and all that stuff It, it was pretty cool yeah that's cool um what were your thoughts on did well did you just know aggression or did you start to get to know the the other nardcore bands before you joined stalag 13 well, yeah, definitely, because probably about 81, somewhere in there, um, all the guys in aggression were the bouncers at uh, Godzilla's down in the valley. And we'd load up my brother's van, you know, every week and uh, just head down to Godzilla's. And that was that was pretty crazy. You know, back then, um, there was <laughs> it, it was a trip you know but being that young but i just you know always checked out the bands and you know just being like wow these guys are insane and you know trying to follow them and just seeing what the scene was like but it was just the whole core of oxnard you know going down to 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 these shows so you know just a youngster checking it out yeah, do you have any memories of like Godzilla's anything that stood out to you or any uh stories from that era? <laughs> oh god. There's so many um but um I do remember it, they had a big room that they had shows and then they had a small room. There was a smaller room, but I just remember the big room and just watching this pit just out of control and watching these guys with long hairs, the hippies come in and God, some of them just getting shit beat out of them. And, um, it was pretty violent, you know, but for some reason I was just hooked. I was, uh, I knew this was uh, where I needed to be at that time. Yeah. So you were drawn to it. You didn't like, yeah, it wasn't a turnoff. It was like, well, this is crazy. I want to, I want to be in this. Yeah, and then every, you know, my family, you know, all into the scene, you know, because I was younger, you know, and um, just kind of started being a part part of, you know, and um, but aggression definitely was was definitely the biggest influence for me. And I knew at some point I wanted to I wanted to do that. I wanted to be in a band. Did you see Stalag before you joined? And what were your thoughts on them? You know, um, well, I didn't see them a whole lot, but I knew of everybody. I I remember the one time I seen them, I think it was, uh, well, I know it was Carl Winridge was um, guitar. I think Kevin Lumbert was on drums and Chuck Steak was playing bass and Ron was singing. And, um, uh, but they were, they were kind of right when I was there, just playing parties and stuff, not really too many shows at that point. But, um, yeah, that was, uh, that was pretty cool. Right. But sonically, they're so different from aggression that I was like, kind of curious, you know, when they come around, what people's perspective on them are, because they have more of like the DC sound than like the Southern California punk rock sound. Right. And, and it, that, you know, I kind of like that. I, I, I really enjoyed, you know, kind of the, how they strayed a little, they were a little bit different, you know, a little bit um, kind of more hardcore-ish than, you know, like what aggression was doing and Neil repute was doing and, you know, all that, but yeah, but I didn't get to see him a whole lot. Yeah, well, I mean, during that time, most most of the bands were playing mostly parties, right? And then some shows as well? Yeah, it was basically aggression. You know, they were the ones putting it on the map. You know, they played Godzilla's quite a bit, and a bunch of other places down there. But yeah, there was just a lot of parties. Do you remember how you joined Stalag? Like how uh, that came about? 
you, you know, I think um, I think it, it was a party at Jimmy Callahan's bass player, Ellie Pugh. And um, <clears throat> I remember, um, I think it was Chuck and Carl and they were they were frying on acid <laughs> and they were like hiding from Ron and, and laughing at him or some <laughs> shit. And I just remember Ron was all pissed off. And uh, <laughs> uh, I, I wound up, we wound up talking and um, he's like, yeah, fuck those dudes, man. I'm done with them. I ain't doing this shit no more. And I said, Hey, well, I play guitar, you know, um, I'm down to do this. And so that's kind of how, how I, got introduced with, with Stalag. Yeah. And then did you start jamming right away? You know, we did, um, we went up grabbing this guy, Ricky Bowersock and he was playing bass. And I think Kevin Lumbert was still on the drums and he kind of, he kind of just, I guess, wasn't really into it anymore. Remember we had a couple other people, but then we, uh, hooked up with this guy, Joey Liebke. Um, and, and he was he was a really good drummer, and it kind of gave it a whole new feel for from what I was hearing what they they had did you know before, and it kind of took it up a little notch. And from there, you know, we just started writing some songs, and um, we went through a few different members. Uh, forget i think this guy ben played bass for a while i think that was his name from ventura and um, a couple other drummers and, and then um remember talking with john morris and uh, you know saying hey i think ricky bauer sucks done he kind of you know had some things he was going through and john kind of cruised in and i think he brought along dave <clears throat> the spider heads <laughs> back then and um, and then I think that's when we got Harry Meisenhower um, from False Confessions. And that was a pretty solid lineup right there. And that's kind of where um, the writing of In Control all started happening and um, more shows and started getting a little bit of, you know, notoriety, you know, with all that. But, um, yeah, it was pretty good. That's where the lineup came through. Yeah, let's let's talk about writing in control a little bit, just because sonically it's it's a lot it's it's not a lot lot different than the demo, but it's definitely more honed in. Like you go from kind of being like a scissor beat hardcore band to like just doing a straight fast beat. The songs are way more honed in and just a lot better. You know, like the the demo is pretty it's cool, but it's kind of generic hardcore. Where the in control LP is, you know. A hardcore master. Yeah, right. I, I know Carl and Chuck wrote wrote most of that stuff on that demo, and yeah, it, it was um more just straight, kind of fast and trashy to me. Um, you know, and and for me, I had been you know playing with Henry, you know, for a while, you know, learning some stuff and and watching his writing skills. So my writing was a little bit different. Um. But before the first punk band I was in was called Flim, <laughs> and that was with Jimmy Callahan. Um, uh, we started that band. We had like three songs. We played a couple parties, and um, that was like when I first started writing a couple of these songs. And from there, I just started honing in and uh, kind of had a feeling of what I wanted to do, and hooking up with ron was just you know that was just something that it was meant to be i think because uh in control turned out pretty good yeah did that first band do a demo at all did you record oh no no we just played a couple parties okay very good yeah um what do you remember about like if anything i mean it's so long ago i apologize if i ask things that are a little too dialed in but like do you remember like playing condition for the first time and just being like, Oh my God, what do we have here? Like, this is something special. Well, <clears throat> you know, before in control had come out, we, we had had condition and that was with Joey Liebke and Ricky Bowersock. 
and those guys. So we had played it a few times, but we were just starting to get on, I think on the radar, you know, of, of like, Hey, whoa, look at Stog the team. This band's coming out there pretty good. They're energetic. You know, we were all over the place. And uh, so, you know, I think that the really, that first show that, that I did was um, at the Camarillo gym uh, high school. <laughs> it's that ET flyer with all those bands. And uh, you know, that was probably one of the bigger shows for me. And um, yeah, playing some of those songs, it was, uh, it was like, I think we got something here. Yeah. So cool. Um, was the black and gray riff lifted off a kiss song? You know, um, I'm not sure that Dave Casillas wrote that. Okay. Was he a Kiss fan? I think he was. <laughs> that was so cool. How about that song? Like, you know, that's an all-time classic punk song. How did it feel like hearing that the first time? You know, when he came to it, I think that was song came more later down the road from the other songs. And um, I think that, you know, it was the first time David brought a song to, you know, to, to the band and um, I was like this it was different but it fit what we were look, we were aiming to go for it kind of just fit in that whole other with the other songs you know it was a it was a um, little bit a little bit more mellower but melodic but it just fit and it fit with the in control yeah it seems like uh, the club Kathy De Grand in Hollywood was like really important for the narco bands. Like uh, it was a place where many of them played kind of often. Do you have any memories of going there? And how did you feel about that compared to some of the other clubs in LA? Well, Cafe de Graham was just the classic, you know, it, it was, and God, it seemed like we were playing there every other week. I mean, that was one of our home, home bases right there for a while. <clears throat> just a cool little club. But for me, <clears throat> I love those clubs. Even to this day, I prefer playing those little clubs over the some festival or some big ass show. That's where it's at for me because the intimacy of it, you feel it. Cause that's what I liked when I was there. I remember we went and see minor throat. Me and Ronnie took a road trip up to San Francisco and uh, we, we, we hooked up with minor threat in seven seconds. And they played this place called, I think it was a tool and die. And it was super, it was about the size of my living room. And I was just, oh my God, you, this is it. You feel it. You feel the energy. You're right there with it. And um, that's what it's all about. And that's what the cafe reminded me of because people were just right up in your face. And um, that, that, those are the best right there. What was it like seeing Minor Threat back then? Did you like watch them and you're just like, okay, this is the greatest band ever? <laughs> exactly. Even to this day. I would say that they're the best band ever. Um, it was intense. He, Ian McKay's intense. Um, that you feel that energy when they play and, and you feel what he's singing about you, you can. And yeah, it was very, very inspirational. And that's, you know, I think that's kind of what, you know, inspired Stalag, you know, to, to be that, you know, uh, I remember for a while there, I thought Ron was Ian McKay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You, you record in control in like a pretty professional studio and, and you have a pretty high budget for it from upstart. Um, what do you remember about that experience? <clears throat> well, for me that recording this record was my first recording ever. And so, but right before, um, we recorded with George Newberry out there at Skip Sailor. Uh, Ron was seeing a, a dear friend of mine, Davey, and her dad had this studio in, I think it was called Orange. I know it was in Orange County, but I think that's what the name of the studio was. And um, we went there for, I think, a day, and we tracked some stuff. But this, this studio was... <laughs> It was funny. There was like broken windows and we could hear dogs. And it was just a trip, but that's where we recorded some of, we started to record. And, and so that was like my first experience in this. It was just this trippy little place. And I think George Newberry, you know, came and said, you know, 
talk to Ron into uh, maybe this isn't the best spot. And, and he had somewhere where we could go. And, um, you know, we were excited about that. So when we did make it over to Skit Sailor, it was a whole different ball game. It was a whole different league. This was like, you know, a professional studio. And um, I was excited. I was excited to record there. I was excited to be on that to be on that record label too, because majority of the uh, Nardcore bands had gone to Mystic, and um, we were doing something different. I thought our music was starting to be a little bit different. We were on a different little label, you know. Uh, they just had did Red Scare, and that was amazing. And um, so. It, yeah, it was an experience. It was, it was super cool to actually be in a studio with a drum room and, you know, all these different rooms and, and watch them mix it down. It, it was it was good. And it turned out good. Yeah, it came out amazing. They also did the, the Circle 1 LP upstart. That's right. Yeah, that, that's kind of a random question I have. Um, it seems like... Uh, the circle one dudes and the ill repute guys got along really well. And do you think that like getting along with them kind of helped from the narco guys, like not being victimized by any of the punk gangs or like not feeling like the need to join something like that? Well, <clears throat> you know, it, I was very close with John. <clears throat> he, he was a big influence on me too. And I used to go down to um, Pico Rivera and I'd go down there for the weekends and there was a, another guy named Vance and Mike Vallejo and I'd go stay at these guys' house and, you know, and seeing what they were all about and his movement and all that. But it definitely helped, you know, because uh, there, there was a lot of shit and we all became tight and, and good music was coming and we all stuck together. And uh, But yeah, that was that was a pretty big um part of my journey through this too was with those guys yeah so when in control comes out how how do you feel about the final product like are you super stoked on it i was um i thought we did a good job i i just the the studio you know the quality of it um you know i, I if i'm not mistaken i remember we tracked everything and ronnie did his vocals and he 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 just, he didn't nail it. It, it seemed like it was weak. It was kind of singing a little bit. And remember we talked a little bit about it and uh, went back and tracked it and he got, you know, you could feel it more. You, you, you could feel the energy a little bit more. And once he did that, then I knew that um, the product was good, that we, 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 we made a good LP, EP, LP. I call it an LP. It's on 12 inch. Yeah. It has more than five songs. It's LP. Right. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, 12 inch EP, I think at the time to be technical, but I never understood that carve out like, Oh, you want to sell your LP for less money? What the fuck? Right. It's weird. Um, do you see the popularity of the band go significantly up after the LP or is it all pretty steady? Well, you know, we kind of back, tracking a little bit before in control is um, we were playing a lot of shows, but we were also, you know, doing a lot of self-promotion. You know, we had the stickers, the flyers, the, the merch, the shirts, and we were everywhere. We were plugging that. We were starting to get some shows and, you know, got right up and flip side. And, but I think our stage show was a lot to do with it too. We, we were energetic. We, we put on a show too. And then, you know, people started like taking it serious, like, hey, these guys are good. And then In Control came out and that's, you know, bam. Okay, they got the stage presence. They got this uh, album that just came out and things just started taking off from there. But we put some work into it to get there. Yeah, right after In Control, you go in and you do the two songs for the Narcor comp. What was the difference recording at Mystic compared to recording in control? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, big difference. You know, um, I guess you pay what you get, right? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, it, it was, it, yeah, it was definitely different. 
And I think we did that song, Do It Right, and Ronnie's rapping, and it was just, it was different. Yeah, how do you, how do you think that holds up now? <laughs> uh, it was just, you know, it was part of that time, you know? So, yeah, it's part of the go time. With like, what, yeah, because like Youth Brigade has a rappy part, right on the, yeah. the Men in Blue. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you how that kind of came about. This is kind of funny. So um, we're playing up in the Bay Area and we're with it. We hook up with the Vandals. We're playing with them and we have another show. And I think it from the Bay Area, we're headed to Sanford or Sacramento and uh, their van broke down. So we piled their band into our van. So we had both bands crammed up in this van. Now you got to remember, I'm only 14 and I'm driving. I drove everywhere on tour with no <laughs> license <laughs> and we get pulled over and the cops come to the van and he asked for the license. I said, oh, I don't have one. And so he goes around the side and he opens up the slider door. And there is the Vandals installing 13. Now, Steve-O has all this makeup on his face. I don't know what the hell he was doing. But the cops just looked and said, I don't even want to know. And he <laughs> shut the door and told me to slow down. <laughs> the reason I tell that story is because that's when the Vandals had their little rap song. Oh, okay. That was a good tie-in. <laughs> The was a lady killer or something like that. I could not tell you. Uh, yes. So yes, it's lady killer. You're yeah. And so and he had that little radio uh, record player around it, and he would scratch just the needle back and forth, not like spinning it, but scratching it. So they had that rock song. I think that's where we kind of came up with our idea of lady killer. Okay. <laughs> What what is the furthest away from Oxnard that Stalag Thirteen played? Back then, yeah, in in that era, in Seattle, the era. Seattle. Okay, how was that? That was amazing. Um, that was that, that that was really fun. I think we played with the Necros and oh God, I can't remember who else we played. I do remember they had like these matinee show. They had a matinee show for the kiddies, and then they had a night show for the everybody it was just a good turnout that's funny because with that it was right i think in control just came out and harry's parents had this van and it was like plush band it was like this brand new band and uh we took that thing up there and when we got back that thing wasn't so badass anymore and I think Harry had just had enough, and, and that's when he left. It was right when we got back. <laughs> yeah. How how do you leave the band? Because you, you don't play on the heavy metal demo, right? You leave before? No. No. Uh, you know, I'm not sure the year that I left, but I, I just, you know, you got to remember starting this with Stalag 13 and recording in control. 13 14 15 years old right just just started you know finding you know what's going on out there you know living at the beach i was just getting a little i, I wouldn't say tired of it but just ready for a change just a little bit of change in my life and um I, there was no hatred or nothing nothing bad happened i was just done and um so that was kind of that and then when i left they kind of did that the metal stuff and it just seemed to me that you know okay that's the direction they're going you know i didn't know if i was just going to take a break and just see what the, and, but they moved forward and, and went the direction they did and and you know that's kind of where that went yeah, what was your opinion on on them making like that change and and turning well, into that type of band? I you know I love all the guys you know uh, Larry and Chuck and 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 Ron and all them and you know it it's what it was you know I if I wasn't like it just to me it was different to me it wasn't really the Stalic thirteen that we had 
put on the map, you know, sort of say. But um, good music is just, you know, that's the direction they wanted to go. I was no longer part of it. So <clears throat> that's, that's, you know, what they did. That's a really weird time frame for hardcore and kind of Southern California punk in general, like that whole 86 to, I mean, definitely like 86 until suffer comes out in 88. Like, do you have any memories of that time? Like, what's that like? Because, you know, aggression moves, ill repute kind of breaks up. Stalag goes metal. Dr. No goes really metal. Like what's, what's happening? Yeah. You know, it's just, you know, things change music thing goes through what it goes through you know but it was just so different of those years compared to the early 80s and you know and all that when when everyone was doing their thing and you know i kind of fizzled out for a little bit you know i kept playing music you know uh i joined a band with my brother out here on the beach and was doing a little bit of reggae and ska punk band and it was pretty successful, you know, and I, and I did that for a while. And, uh, just yeah, we should of, say that Blake is the Scott Eddie's right. It is. Yeah. Scott yeah so it's a, it's a band that's been around forever and yeah. Yeah. You know, it's really and we were pretty and successful. You know, we were playing up and down the coast of California and sponsored by a beer company and playing with like the specials, no doubt. You know, English beat, whatever. It, it was fun, but you know that was just a part of my time in in my life growing up. You know, now I'm in my twenties, going into the next chapter and whatnot. But um, <clears throat> definitely, um, it was fun, and that's what to be the whole thing about music for me. Whatever bands I've been, I've been in a lot of bands. Um, it's got to be fun, you know. And when it's not fun anymore, you, you move on to find something that is fun. You know, I don't ever want to think it's like a job job, you know, and this is, you know, I know some, some bands, you know, that, that that's what they do, you know, MDC and other bands that just tour and that, that's just it. And sometimes it, you know, for me, it, it's a little much and when, when things, you know, not every day is good doing that, but when it's, it's not not to be fun, because I've gone through periods of that with Stolic 13, where it wasn't fun and, you know, about ready to leave again. Yeah, I feel you. The The tour life is not a life for me either. Um, yeah. Let's talk about getting Stolic back together in the 90s. So this happens in the 95, 96 era. Uh, you drop the 13 off the name. You get Joey Libke back, you've referred to before. And uh, yeah, so what happened with that was I I was, you know, I think I had left the Scott Addies and I joined, I started another band called No Regrets, kind of the same thing, just a couple of guys from Scott Addies. We did a little spinoff. And at that point, I had been doing it for a long time and it was starting to get not fun anymore. And um, just, you know, looking to see what was going to be next. And uh, actually, Joey Liebke had reached out to me and said, Hey, you know, I, I, I think we should do a project, you know, because then Stalic 13 hadn't been doing anything at all. I think the metal was done. Everything was done. And he, he had some guys from LA, um, John D'Amico from, I think he lives right there in Hollywood, right there in sunset guy, Chuck Proquette and this cat, Rob McNulty on vocals. And, um, he was like, dude, we should bring bring this back. And he presented me with it. And he's like, I have some money to back this thing. He's all, we'll go into Paramount Studios, which is, you know, one of the best studios in Hollywood or in L.A., wherever. And um, so I said, why not? You know, let's do it. And um, so we started writing and, you know, I started writing more songs and, um, but I, there was no way I was going to call it Stalic 13 without Ron, without, you know, some of the guys that, you know, we've been doing it without Larry and stuff. So we just called it Stalag, you know, and, and see where it was going to go. And I'll tell you what, that album's really good. I was happy with it. Yeah. And you guys played out like you played showcase with Ignite. You played a bunch of shows. We did. 
we played a few shows with them and, you know, we were playing the whiskey and we got some good shows. You know, I remember we were playing, um, oh my God, what's the one place? It's right down the street from the whiskey. Oh, I forget the name of it. But um, <clears throat> I just remember where I think the record was coming out and um, there was a lot of people there. And I seen all the guys from Bad Religion were there, and, you know, just different bigger bands that you know came to check it out so it, it was fun but it didn't last that long yeah you also did a couple songs for fred's uh localism comp in 96 we did i think you put the song ride on there yeah right um, and then also your your redo of what are you looking for right right correct yeah super cool plus it's the first tracks on the album so it's like you're setting the setting the tone for the whole record it's kind of cool yeah it, it was a pretty good record i was happy with it I still, still, still up there with what, yeah, what I've cool. done in my music. Yeah. Career. So why did why does that wrap up? Why does the Stalag fall apart? You know that there's another good example. It, towards the end, it wasn't fun anymore. Uh, the singer, you know, he had some issues, and it, it was just you know, a couple of egos, couple of that, couple of this. Just um, you know, we did it. It's what it was, and uh, for me, it was time to move on. Yeah, were you aware that you got bootlegged by Lost and Found in the nineties? Like they did the yeah, CD it, of Ingatrol. Yeah, it just seemed like back then. All of a sudden, you would start seeing all this stuff um, coming out with different artwork, with different this and that yeah. merch, seeing different T-shirts, and to me, I don't know. I I never. Even to this day, I'm not into it for the money. Money's great, whatever, but I'm not, you know, someone does it, you know, I don't think they're getting rich. If it helps them out, it helps them out. People enjoy it, you know. Uh, I'm a fan of fans. That's the only reason why I keep doing this, you know, for the young generation, from the generation that was there. You know, I think John um, C., over here he's sitting in your picture there was one bootleg from my rack <laughs> so, yeah that's seven you know, inch. it's what it is you know the seven inch um, of in control or the seven inch of the demo there's two the in control it's i mean it says in the back it was pressed in iraq if it was who knows you know but yeah. if, it, if it wasn't if it wasn't for that lost and found cd i probably would never have fallen in love with stalic 13 same because for me you couldn't find that record anywhere at all and um i bought it at record outlet it was like i still have it in my garage little slim case yeah and listen to that like so so much so thanks lost and found yeah well plus they put them on it's like one of those lost and found cd comps with like 40 bands and it's like all super notable bands like they're on there with like i don't know uniform choice youth of today like all that shit. And then it's like, it holds up and you're like, damn, Stalag is like in the conversation. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's crazy it, how that label just, did that. That's an insane label. <laughs> well, go sue them, right? It's like, uh, are the, are the people that do it, lawyer. are the people that did it still like around doing stuff? Cause they put out so much stuff. I have no idea. But what's weird is like, they, they function in that bootleg world, but then they also like put out legit bands, right? Like, Ignite had a record come out like on that label. Yeah. Battery had a record. Yeah. Battery. Yeah. You know, so weird to do the two concurrent, but <laughs> it helped like those bands go and be able to tour Europe. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. Kept the name alive, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, so talking about in control being so hard to get, you know, it, it gets repressed by Dr. Strange in the year 2002. And that, goes along with you doing a reunion with Ron and playing a bunch of shows in that time frame. Blake, what do you remember about that time frame? <laughs> oh man. So that's a funny one. Well, <clears throat> you know, I don't usually open up too much about this part, but <clears throat> a couple of years before that, <clears throat> the drinking has just caught up with me bad. Um, I received severe nerve damage from drinking. And um, what had happened was 
I lost all, like, I couldn't walk. Basically, they thought I had several palsy at first. And so, you know, I, I, I couldn't write. I couldn't play guitar. I couldn't do anything. And, um, you know, I was trying to, to sober up. And, um, you know, somebody had, had reached out to me and said that um, they wanted to do this tour, the Normageddon Fest tour. And, um, you know, they would fly Ron out from Australia. And, um, you know, uh, I, I wasn't sure what was going to happen. So we set up a band practice and I was going to try to play bass to see because it would be a little bit easier and we and John Morris can play guitar too. So we were going to flip flop, but I went to the practice and I couldn't do it. And so I was like, fuck, man, I think my music career's done. And, um, you know, we, we had like six months before this thing was going to start. So I basically just stuck my amp in my front room and, um, basically had to retrain my brain and to, to play the guitar again. You know, when I was, I got sober. So, um, you know, that's, that's kind of what I did. And, uh, I was able to, um, go on that tour and, um, you know, been sober ever since 11 years now. So, you know, I had to learn how to walk again. I had to learn how to uh, play the guitar again, but I was able to do it. And, you know, once that happened, um, you know, we did the tour and then, you know, we were able to do some, some more shows. Ronnie came back for the Nard Fest, um, you know, and then from then I've just, I've still been playing. Yeah. Before you got John C, you had Ryan on vocals for a minute. Ryan Fredette. <laughs> what, what, He's fucking crazy motherfucker. Yeah. Why, why do you settle on that guy? Well, you, you know, I've known Ryan since he was a little kid, you know, his brothers, his actually one of his brothers was in the Scott Eddie's and, um, you know, I, I've seen Ryan, I, you know, we, we live down the street and whatnot. And, you know, I always check out hit the in control, you know, when I heard that, yeah, this band in control, fucking Ryan's crazy. And I'm like, hell yeah. Like, Cause he was like, dude, I hope you didn't, we, we stole your name or whatever. Now dude, it's all good, man. And so, you know, um, once Ron said he was basically done, <clears throat> you know, we had to make a decision what we were going to do. And we were kind of, you know, things were going good. We were, we were playing. It was fun. And, um, you know, we hit him up to play a couple shows, but he was busy. You know, he didn't have a lot of time to to do what we were looking to do we you know we would book all these shows and you'd be like ah, i can't do it can't do it which was a bummer but a blessing at the same time be because of what what comes after that but um he's funny he's crazy i love ryan so it was a blast to play some of these shows with him and i think he enjoyed it as well you know like shit i'm singing for stalling 13 and yeah he he's a great front man for any any band that he's he's performing with but um yeah he just didn't have the time yeah because he plays softball like eight nights a week and bowls yeah he plays softball he was bowling he had the restaurant he works at down the street called quincy street he yeah he just you know and we things were you know we're, we're starting to we're starting to uh, take off again. You know, everybody's fired up, you know, we got the green light from Ron, you know, you know, cause you know, he's, he's, he's the master of this, you know, and I'll say it always, Ron's always a singer, you know, and if he ever wanted to come back, we would, you know, definitely have, we'd have to do two sets cause John's our singer now, but Ron's always a singer as well. Oh yeah. And, uh, no. Ron's definitely yeah. always the singer. I'm just keeping his yeah. mic warm. Whenever yeah. he wants to come back, I'll hand yeah. that shit off. Maybe, maybe one day we'll get him back. But I don't know. He's pretty. <laughs> he's pretty set up over there in Australia. He's got his shit together. He's good. he's uh, the doc. He's the doctor now. Doctor yeah. Ron. Yeah. Doctor Baird. I love that guy. <laughs> well, I I did see you guys with Ryan scene. I think you played one of the Nardfests with him, and then also yeah. uh, I saw you in San Diego. And that was the night yep. that I met Doug Moody. 
Oh, God. Because Doug Moody came to your San Diego I show. remember that's right. He was there. Yep. Oh, my God. I do remember that now. We were all laughing because we stayed in the hotel, I think, right across the street or somewhere close. And we were all laughing like, what the heck? Fucking Doug Moody. They're, they're like, you want to stay here for the night? This is a by the hour, bro. <laughs> but yeah yeah doug Moody was that was that was great he showed up in like a full track suit i was like oh what's up? yeah it was bizarre it was so bizarre and i remember larry was like clamoring him or something yeah <laughs> so i didn't really have any history with him you know me personally but i'd known what everyone else knows so right um so let's talk about getting john uh what was the internal discussion of the band like thinking about who to get and why do you land? Well, well, we had this show coming up at, uh, in rock city in Camarillo. <clears throat> and I don't remember, I don't think Ryan could, Ryan couldn't do it. And so I came up with this idea about let's just get a bunch of the guys from the other Nordcore bands to all sing a couple songs. So we did, we had John Faneff and Tony Cortez, the repute guys. We had Brady from last priority. And I didn't really know. I knew of John C, but I didn't really know him personally that good. We just kind of would see each other. Hey, this and that, but we had asked John too. And um, so we did this practice um, at Larry's house and everybody showed up and they picked the songs they were going to sing. Uh, John couldn't make the practice. And then, so the night of the show, everybody kind of, um, they did their songs. And then I seen John on the side of the stage and he's like, hands up. He's still want me to do these songs. And we are like, I, in my mind, I was like, Oh man, this dude didn't even practice show practice. And, uh, he saw, I got this. And we played the songs and he's all, do you want to play this one? I know this one, but just right when he sang, we, me and Larry looked at each other and we were like, what the fuck? We were like, this is it. But we weren't sure if he, you know, commitment to this, would he be down? Cause I know he played in a bunch of bands. And um, after that night, me and Larry had talked on the phone. I said, dude, there's a singer right there. And so we approached him and asked him, you know, if he wanted to sing with this and shit. How many years has it been, John? Um, it was a while ago. I, I don't know. Seven years maybe now? You've been with the seven years now. Maybe. Yeah. So what a, what a great yeah. asset to the band. And because, we couldn't uh, have got any liquor. And I'll be honest, if that probably didn't happen that night, I don't think we would have kept going, tell you the truth. Because we just didn't think anybody else just didn't seem to fit. And I don't think we were about out to go audition people. That just fell into our lap. John came, and it was a blessing, and uh, it all worked out. John, what are your memories of that night? And also, what was more important than going to stalling practice? Um, well, well I, I think it was Tony Cortez who called me and was like, told me what was going on and like they want people to sing a couple songs and and like he was like you should sing and then he was also like you should sing for stala because i think they're looking for a new singer i'm like really and um i thought about it and initial thoughts were like there's no way i could be the singer of stala that's you know but then i kept thinking about it i'm like well if it was drums i'd be like all right i could play drums for stala and not think twice about it and then it was also like, I'm like, oh, I could, this is my pitch. This is like my range of singing. I'm not like the best singer, but I could sing this. And I, I started thinking like, I would hate to see someone else do it. Like it was rad seeing Ryan because he's like a madman and he's not even singing. He's just jumping in the crowd, going crazy, like going insane, which is awesome. And um, but I'm like, you know, I want to do this. And so I don't even think... I knew about the practice uh, to be honest. If I did, I would have totally made it unless it was at a time I just had to work, which I can't really remember, but you know, I practice on my own and I knew the songs already. So I was like super stoked and I didn't want to fuck it up, you know? And, um, 
And I think I, we called and talked on the phone afterwards. And I was just like, Hey, if you guys want a singer, I'm, I'm totally down. So, so that's what happened. And, and here we are seven years later, went to Europe, went to Japan, played a bunch of rad shows. And, and like I said before, I, I am just keeping Ron's mic warm. If he ever wants to come back, bam. I'll, and if we want to play new songs with me, that'd be cool too. But like, I'm just stoked to be in the band and I finally get to be in an 80s punk band. Yeah, you do the Over the Edge CD. Is that, that's for one of the tours, right? The Europe tour or the Japan, the Japan tour? Um, that was for the Europe. Europe. It was, we were supposed to put out like a split LP, I think, with no. And something happened where it just wasn't going to work out in time. And so we kind of recorded it really quickly. And uh, some CDs were made and we brought them when we went out there. And then that was about it with that. You know. Um, yeah, you kind of considered it a non-release. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's kind of more like a demo. If, you know what I mean? Like, it sounded more like demo-ish. And like, so we didn't really want to put it out, I think, Blake, right? I don't know. Yeah. 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 And well, it happened so fast too. Mm -hmm. but, um, you know, like really quick. And so we did it. And then, you know, like you said, we were going to maybe try to do the split. So we were like, okay, maybe we'll just press this just, I think a couple, a hundred or 200, whatever we did. And we were only going to take him to Europe. And then that was it. And then we were going to come back and try to finish it and put more songs on it. Yeah. And, um, so that was kind of the plan of where it was at. And then, you know, so we took what we had over there and that's basically the only place you'll be able to get them. If whatever's out there is out there, then we came back and, um, you know, uh, started writing some new stuff. Well, that's, you know, the whole Corona thing kind of happened. And, um, that's kind of the start of filling the silence. Album. Right. Yeah. Well, before we get there, let's, uh, what are your memories of the European tour or the Japan tour or both? both well, <clears throat> with Europe, you know, so just going back a little bit, my whole, from when I started Stalag 13, when I joined Stalag 13, all the way through the whole music career that I've had, the one thing on my bucket list was to go to Europe and play. And um, that was just something I've always dreamed about and be like one day, you know. And, you know, since, you know, we were doing this whole thing with John C now and things were taking off, I've been able to stay sober. I said, I'm going to put this thing together. And, um, you know, no Nardcore bands had been really over to Europe, you know, Gary Pugh hadn't gone, Gresham, Dr. No. And so I was determined, I go, we need to get over there. So um, I just started doing the legwork and, you know, I got um, hooked up with uh, Benny. He's out of Clown House uh, Tours. And, um, you know, we just started putting this thing together. It took me a year to to put it all together the the phone calls and the time difference be doing this shit at two three in the morning when he would call me and blah 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 but you know i just was you know determined to do this and it was all falling in place there was some work but you know it was well worth it and then getting over there was kind of a surprise because you're not sure are they going to like you, not like you, like, you remember <laughs> anything, but it, it, it was um, a blessing to get over there and to see that there's, there's fans over there. There's Nardcore fans. They, I mean, people would show up in their repute shirts and this, they would know the words to all the songs. And what's even funnier to me is seeing some of these kids you know, in Europe that probably weren't even born when the CD or this record came out singing word for word. And that's just right there. Just, it just was like, man, this is badass. You know, this is why I do this. 
it's for for that right there for the kids for the older people and then we got the same response in japan so it, it, it was fun especially when we went with no you know they were able to to jump on that with us and and to do that with my brother and um yeah it, it was uh it was everything i thought it was and i can't wait to go back what are your memories john uh it was it was a good tour like because i had gone before missing 23rd like maybe 10 years before that so i had some sort of an idea of what europe was like but um it was fun being with these guys because that like touring with the band really like make or, or breaks it you know like either people can hang or people can't and there'd be times where the band would be like almost like on the verge of something like bad happening but nothing ever bad really happened knock wood and you know we survived we all had a bunch of fun and we wanted to keep going after it which is always awesome but um as far as being in europe with stalag i was you know always apprehensive being the the new singer and so like i would play shows or we play and you know you're talking to people and they're like so who else is original besides you in the band and i'd be like well i'm not the original guy and so it'd be some fun conversations like that but for the most part, everyone was really cool and super stoked to like finally see this band, you know, that they never thought they would ever see. Yeah. Super cool. And I hope I, you know, I bring it justice, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Talk about that a little bit, like that pressure that you feel as being like not the original singer. Um, it's kind of, it's, it's weird, uh, a little bit, but, you know, I just work through it and I just like, I just keep telling myself if it was drums, I wouldn't care. If it was drums, I wouldn't care. I'd play drums and not even think about it. So I'm trying to just, I'm just singing. We got the green light and I tried to just, you know, I hope that people come and if they close their eyes, they're here and they're like, oh yeah, this is Stalag 13, you know? And I think they kind of get that. And I think most of the shows are really fun. Yeah, one of the things about the Over the Edge CD, though, is we did pluck I Don't Need It from it. Because uh, I was like, oh, yeah. you guys revamped this. I Don't Need It as a demo song. I think it got re-released as bonus tracks at the end of the Doctor Strange CD. Yeah, it did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? But it's like uh-huh. what you guys did with it on the Over the Edge CD was like so rad. And I was like, okay, if they're going to toss the CD to history, we should pluck this song and have them do it for like the new Nardcore comp. Um, how did you feel about that song, John? And how did you feel about it landing on the comp? Well, that, that song for me was the only song that actually felt like a straight edge song almost, even though you can't tell what the hell he's saying in any recording I've ever heard. So uh, that's a song I kind of rewrote lyrics because I couldn't tell what he was saying, even though I think it was kind of a straight edge song. And I made it more about a song about like, not needing shitty people in your life that, you know, you know, that shitty people, you don't need them in your life. So that's kind of what that song's about now to me. And, um, so recording, it was fun. You know, we, we did it and I think we recorded the whole song in like a half hour, all of it. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think I even sang live for most of it. So it was, it was fun. I love recording with Armon. Yeah, it's cool. How do you feel about that comp? Blake? Oh, I love it. It was a great, um, you know, from going back to the, the, the first Nardcore comp, you know, and then having this one so many years later with all these great bands, it, it turned out good. I was glad that you wanted that song because that's one of my favorite songs. It always has been from way back when. Um, you know, that one's got some energy, some balls to it. It's just uh, I like playing that song too. So cool. Okay, so "Fill in the Silence" is the LP that's coming out in 2021, um, or came out, depending on when this episode is released. Um, <laughs> let's talk about going into this album. How how did the writing process go? And Blake, what kind of pressure do you feel on this album, given that it's like the first one with a Stalag 13 on it? You know, or, you know, I, I guess let's go back one more time. Did you feel any pressure with conviction? And can you compare like that pressure compared to this pressure? Well, 
little bit different because the Stalag without the 13. Right, right. You just considered a different band. It, pretty much. You know, um, we were using the name, you know, some of the songs, you know, I wrote the songs, so, you know, we could use those, whatever. But it, it was fun also, too, because playing with these other guys that I didn't know, I just had met and writing songs with them. It was a new band and there really wasn't much pressure in in that. But now coming in to fill in the silence, this is the first record of Stalag 13, you know, to, to come out since in control, you know, with, with the original members that we have left and then our new members. So I, you know, it was, um, I just didn't want it to try to, you know, you see some bands make a record and then they make another record 30 years later or 30 years plus later. And it's completely different. You know, There, it, it is so different. You're like, oh, well, that's a whole different band. I wanted to keep this into that, try to keep it into that in control category as well, not lose too much of it. And, um, you know, so it, I just didn't want it to come out and be like, oh, it's okay. I think we did a hell of a job on this when it comes out. It's... Um, it's right there with that. It's like you would hear in control and then hear Phil and Silence go, okay, th th that's it. That's them. That's it. They didn't, you know, 30 plus years later. But, um, you know, it was weird because that whole pandemic thing, you know, it hit. And it was like the first time when it was really the first one where it was locked down. You know, we were on lockdown. And, you know, it was funny because I live alone and I was single and, um, you know, it was a little lonely, boring, whatever, just being in this house by myself. <clears throat> I even hit up my friend. Uh, I, I like rented this puppy, like a seven month year old little <laughs> French bulldog. <laughs> to get some kind of company but 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 that didn't work out man that was like having a brand new baby so i gave that dog back and um i said okay it's time to write a new record and um i said we need i need to fill in the silence and um you know so i started writing these songs and um you know ben our other guitar player he he's like He's so cool. He's a super rad dude and super talented and he's a youngster and he didn't really give a fuck either about the, the whole pandemic. A lot of people, you know, and I get it, you know, our drummer, you know, he's got a badass job and, and, you know, he didn't want to get the Corona and John's got his family and our other John, you know, everybody's was like, you know, we need to be locked down. Well, kind of me and Ben said, fuck it. We were meeting at the studio and writing these songs and he would play drums to it. And then he, we would track guitars and then we'd put the bass and then we were able to send it to everybody so they could hear it, you know, and start writing their parts to it. And um, that's kind of how this record came about. And I would just told John, you know, Hey, here, here's this song, man. I want you to see if you can come up with some of the fill in the silence. It just made sense right there. And then everything else started changing besides the pandemic. You got the Black Lives Matter. You have all this stuff, you know. So we could take that any way that this thing could go. Fill in the silence originally started just to not, you know, to hear something. Cause it was so silent in here. But when I gave it to John, you know, he took it and, and made this about what's going on out there in the world today, you know? And, um, it, when you hear the words, you, you'll, you'll hear it. You'll hear the message. Yeah. John, yeah. talk about some of the writing process for this record. Well, I, fr at first, like way before this, like we talked about recording and I was always kind of hesitant and Blake's really good at like pumping you up he's a very good motivator. And I was like, nah, dude, we could do it. We could do it. We could write a new record. It's fine. Like, and so he built me up and then started sending me songs, you know, 
and I just um, started writing lyrics. I'd just sit in my garage and yell into my phone until I liked something. <laughs> and then I'd send it to them and go, how's the sound? And we'd go back and forth. And then, um, I, well, I think some, like how many new songs, there's like five new songs on it. Yeah. Something like that. And then, so, you know, we take some old classics <laughs> Yeah, and, and, and did those as well, which I thought was a great idea. Yeah, we did like black sticks. Uh, mainly what was going on, especially at that time, we're like, let's do black sticks. And Larry is always pretty hyped to record any old song because he was on in control in his picture, but that's not him playing drums on the recording. So I know he always wants to record some stuff. So it's cool. And we kind of changed it up because I guess uh, live before I was in the band, they would do this thing this instrumental break and Ron would do some sort of kind of speech thing with whatever's going on at the time. And so he was actually going to write something for it. And we sent it to him. And with the Corona lockdown down there, it was way too, he couldn't get to a studio. He just couldn't, he couldn't do it. And so then I wrote something for that part. And um, yeah, I don't know. I try to, I, I kind of approached writing the lyrics a little differently because in the aspect that I wanted to somewhat sound like Stalag 13. So I don't know. Hopefully I did a good job. <laughs> I, I like the songs. I think it came out really good. Yeah. Let's, let's finish on overall thoughts of the record and uh, Blake, let's go to you. Well, for me, I think th this is one of the best records that I've written and been a part of with these guys. Uh, I just didn't write them. We all did write them, but um, I think it's, it, it's good. I, you know, in controls, a classic, no one's ever going to repeat that, but I think w we did a good job on this and I'm super happy and I'm ready to record another one. We're halfway there. We have enough songs, maybe about five more to go. And then uh, we'll be coming out with something else after this. We gotta we gotta push this one first though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Everyone buy this one before uh, before Blake hits you with the next one. <laughs> That'll be a while. Yeah, that's true. That's true. John, how do you feel about this record overall? Um, I'm pretty hyped on it. I like it. It's I mean, it's really special for me to be on the Stalag 13 record. That's like kind of mind blowing, you know, being a Nardcore kid. So it's really awesome, and I hope people enjoy it. I hope we get to play some of the songs live sometime this year. You know, we were supposed to, the plan was to record, put out the record, play shows and then go tour Europe again, but there are no shows. So I don't know whenever that comes back, it'll be fun to play some of these live. Hopefully fall 2020, huh? That's what I'm hoping. They just moved punk rock bowling. So <laughs> I think punk rock bowling is not going to happen, huh? I, yeah, I don't think so. Not they moved it to fall, but we'll see. Oh, okay. Okay. Very good. All right. Well, Blake, do you feel like you've been well represented? Awesome. No, I do. Thank you very much. Great. Cool, cool. And John, Thank for you. your, your in piece, you feel okay? Yes, right. I think so. Talk to Thank you. you. Cool. Oh, you too. All right, dudes. So everyone Bye. check it out. This record is uh, it's out on all the digital platforms. And uh, yeah, and then whatever I said on the intro, that's like where we're really at. So what's up? <laughs> Thanks for listening. Talk to you again.